if you will please take your Bibles and turn to the book of Proverbs, somewhere around chapter 12. We'll be, we'll be kind of all over the chapters around that. Been excited about this new uh, sermon series on Proverbs. Now, the, di- the dictionary defines a proverb as a short, pithy saying that states a general truth or offers a bit of advice. And that may be true for, you know, the only thing that's certain is death and taxes, right? I mean, that may be true for something like that. But the Proverbs we read in the Bible are so much more than that. And we need to make sure that we approach the biblical Proverbs in the right way, that we have the proper understanding of the nature and the purpose of the Proverbs we read in Scripture. Because the Proverbs we read in the Bible are neither promises nor are they commands, which is why some of them seem to contradict each other. One proverb says that the wise will live a good life. Another proverb will say that the wise will suffer. You know, so it seems like on the surface those contradict each other. So rather than think of them as promises or commands, instead proverbs are descriptions of the various aspects of how life works best. So for a a proverb on marriage or parenting may seem like that it applies in every instance, but then you read another proverb that shows that in some situations you need a different approach. And so the best way really to look at proverbs is like a jigsaw puzzle. And each individual proverb is a different piece of that puzzle, and you don't get the full picture until you bring all those puzzle pieces together. And so you'll see on the screen the best definition I have found for proverbs is this. Proverbs are God's invitation to learn wisdom from previous generations as we wrestle with the truths they contain. That is what each of these individual Proverbs are and what the book of Proverbs is as a whole. So this month, we're going to try to pull together various Proverbs into a complete picture on one specific topic, and that is our words, our speech. Because Proverbs has a lot to say about what we have to say. And we're going to look today at the power of words for good or for harm. And the next week we're going to look at specific powerful words. And we'll discover that one of the overarching themes of the book of Proverbs is that true wisdom understands the power of words. If we are wise people, we will understand that words are powerful. First of all, words can wound. Words are powerful because words can wound. Look with me, if you will, at Proverbs 12, 18. We're going to put these on the screen as well because we are going to kind of be jumping around a bit. Proverbs 12, 18. Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. And then Proverbs 18, 21 tells us the tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. So back in 1218, what does it mean when it says that reckless words pierce like a sword? What does that mean? It means that they get into our heart and soul. It means that once a hurtful word is spoken, its impact really can never be erased. It's like a wound from a sword. It may heal, but it's going to leave a scar. 
in your body. Your body will never be the same again after you've been struck by a sword. I mean, if you're like me, you've got little nicks and cuts all over the place that little scars, and you can look back at that scar, remember, oh yeah, that's that time in fourth grade when I jabbed the pencil into my finger. Pencil lead is still in there. You know, we have these wounds. And they heal, but they leave scars. And sometimes words do that as well. Reckless words can wound and scar a reputation. Damage a relationship. Make it hard for people to trust you. Proverbs 18.21 goes a step further. Not only do words pierce and wound like a sword, it says that words can even kill. We've all seen examples of this. We all know people who have, who have inflicted harm on others by telling lies or half-truths or spreading rumors about someone. Maybe you've been on the receiving end of some of those kinds of wounding words. We've read news stories, even recently, about false accusations that have cost people their jobs, their marriages, or, or, or painful and, and, and expensive court battles. History is replete with stories of how words have resulted in murders or suicides or even wars. Words can kill. They can kill a marriage. They can kill someone's spirit. You know, you, if you call a child stupid or, or worthless, that leaves an impact on that child so that their spirit is so damaged that they're going to be plagued with self-doubt, with, with self-loathing all their lives. As Ben said, you know, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can hurt us. They hurt us in deep ways. They hurt us in ways you can't necessarily see the wound or the scar on the outside, but nevertheless, it is there. Words can be like toxic chemicals that pollute the ground to the point that it's hard for anything beautiful to ever grow there again. Words can wound. But the opposite is also true. Words can also heal. Proverbs 12, 14 says, From the fruit of his lips a man is filled with good things, as surely as the work of his hands rewards him. And then in chapter 15, verse 4, it says the tongue that brings healing is a life is a tree of life but a deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. So while a perverse or a deceitful tongue can crush someone's spirit, it says that soothing words can be like a tree of life. They bear fruit. They sustain life. They're sweet, they're pleasant. We need them to live and not just survive, we need them to thrive. Maybe you can think of an encouraging, kind, or challenging word that you've read in a book. Or even more powerful, maybe a word that you read in a letter or a card that someone sent to you. Maybe you can remember words from a friend, a family member, a mentor, a coach, a teacher, that they said something to you that was so impactful that they can give us an epiphany. Those kinds of words can turn someone's life around or affirm a right decision. These are the kinds of words we remember for the rest of our lives. I can remember to this day some of the conversations, some of the cards, the text messages or the voicemails on my phone from many of you on the night that the pastor search committee 
submitted my name as the candidate to be lead pastor here. And the words that so many of you said to me on on that day and in the days after that still ring in my ears and encourage me on the difficult days. And I'm so thankful for those words. I can remember similar words as a teenager. The words of the men and the women at the little country church I grew up at in East Tennessee who recognized God's gifts in me before I did and affirmed in me God's calling to go into ministry. Those are words that heal. Those are words that have given life. Those are words that have impacted me and I carry them with me to this day. We never forget those kinds of life-giving words, do we? Even right now, maybe you're thinking of some words like that that people have said to you. But of course, the ultimate life-giving word isn't anything any one person says to us. The ultimate life-giving word is the Word of God. And Hebrews 4.12 tells us, For the Word of God is alive. It's active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Now, I find it interesting that in Proverbs 12.18, it uses similar language to this great passage about the Bible in Hebrews 4. Remember Proverbs 12.18 says that reckless words pierce like a sword. So how can God's Word, being a sword that pierces us, be a good thing, but reckless words like a sword that pierces us be a bad thing? Isn't that interesting? Well, it's in the same way that Proverbs 27.6 tells us that wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Or as Proverbs 55, 10-11 says, As the rain and snow come down from heaven, and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. What Isaiah, what God is saying here through Isaiah is that God's word is alive. And it's life-giving. It's alive like a seed. It's life-giving like the sun and the rain. And he says, it will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I send it. God's Word is alive and it is active. God's Word always accomplishes exactly what it sets out to do. God's Word is like a sword, a sword that pierces not to harm, not to destroy, but to cut through our hard hearts, to expose our self-deception, to cut the chains that imprison us. You see, a sword doesn't just attack and kill. A sword can set free. A sword can defend. A sword can even give life. The question for us, is which way will we use our sword? Which way will we use the words of our mouth? To attack others or to defend others? To speak up for those who have no voice or to silence the voice of those we disagree with? Will we use our sword to stand for the truth in a culture that peddles in lies? Will our words wound others in a hurtful way Or will they be the wounds of a trusted friend? Will they be life-giving? 
Because the truth sometimes hurts, doesn't it? Doesn't it? That's why Proverbs says that the wounds of a friend are faithful. Because sometimes we have to say hurtful things. We have to speak the truth. But when we speak the truth from love and with love, though they hurt in the moment, ultimately those words will free. Those words will heal. Those words are more like the scalpel in the hands of a surgeon than a sword in the hands of an enemy. Our words can be very powerful. And God will hold us accountable for how we use them. For whether we use them for good or for evil. For ourselves or for the building and benefit up of others and the glory of God. As Paul says in Ephesians 4.29, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. Not your need, but their needs. That it may benefit those who listen. We should use our words, in other words, to build up, not to tear apart. And that's the third way in which words can be powerful. Words, words can tear apart. Proverbs 16, 28 says, A perverse man stirs up dissension and a gossip separates close friends. Now, Proverbs has a lot to say about friendship. We've already seen one of those, about the wounds of a friend or faithful And and many of the Proverbs indicate that our friendships are very much about our words. Our friendships are based on what we say to each other and about each other. Words can make a friendship. Words can break a friendship. And here in Proverbs 16, 28, the author mentions two kinds of friendship and destroying words. The first is that words that stir up conflict. Words that stir up conflict. Yes, candor and truth-telling can be painful, but are sometimes necessary. That's not what this is talking about. This is talking about those people who just love to argue. You know them? You know anybody like that? They just like to argue. They like to stir the pot. They like to criticize others, almost almost like it's a sport for them. They enjoy it. They feed off the outrage that they cause with the people around them. These aren't people that are speaking truth in love. These are people... That aren't just being honest and disrespect, you know, they're not just being honest and direct. These are people who are being brutal for the sake of being brutal because somehow they enjoy it. They speak words that stir up conflict. You know, Thanksgiving's coming around the corner. Maybe you've got some people like that in your family. And you just know, uh, they're going to push my button. They're going to try to get, get me all riled up. That's the kind of words we're talking about here. Those are words that can tear apart. They can damage a family. And the second kind are words of gossip. Gossipers are people who criticize others behind their back. They're people who talk about others in the worst possible light. And we're going to spend a, I'm going to spend a whole sermon talking about gossip. So we'll get to more about that. But both of these kinds of speakers have the same need. Their need is to build themselves up by putting other people down. They make themselves look better and feel better by what they say negative about other people. And with these kinds of people, it is nearly impossible to have a close, healthy friendship, isn't it? Because you can't really trust them. Now, we all need to examine our hearts and examine our mouths this morning and make sure that we're not being these kinds of people. 
Let's all make sure that we're not being the kinds of people who stir up conflict, who spread words of gossip. And if this morning you think that you might be guilty of that, maybe you're thinking, you know what, sometimes I do tend to want to spread a little bit of juicy news that I've gotten about somebody. Yeah, I am one who who tends to be critical and and, and I tend to talk about others in, in a critical way when they're not around. I'm not going to them with my problem. I'm talking about them. Then I invite you this morning to consider, are you separating close friends? Are you causing damage to the body of Christ by the things that you choose to say or the way in which you choose to talk about people? And ask you this morning to ask God to search your heart And would you be willing this morning to turn from that, to repent and turn from that sin and to ask God to help you instead say words that build up instead of words that tear apart? Because we do have a choice. The choice is ours. I can choose to say things that are going to tear apart or I can choose to use words that can fill people up and build people up. That's the choice. Because... Just like Proverbs 16, 20 says, uh, 28 says about people who, who separate, Proverbs 12, 13, and 14 says, An evil man is trapped by his sinful talk, but a righteous man escapes trouble. From the fruit of his lips, a man is filled with good things, as surely as the work of his hands rewards him. Here the author is saying that sinful words are a trap. But good words fill people up with good things. The contrast here is fascinating. The idea is that whenever we speak, whatever we speak reveals what is already in our heart. Think about that. Jesus said, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. In other words, Jesus is saying that if you say that you hate someone and you wish they were dead, you're revealing what's already in your heart. You've already had that thought. You already have that outlook and attitude toward that person. And this proverb further tells us that by speaking what's already in your heart, it actually makes you believe it and feel it even more. And it almost becomes like a self-fulfilling prophecy. What you say not only reveals what's in your heart, it reinforces it. And it fills you up even more with that. You may say, well, David, what do I do then? If I've got a problem with somebody, if I, if I have a bad attitude towards someone, because we're all human, we all can have bad attitudes, amen? All right, somebody's rubbed you the wrong way. What are you supposed to do with it? Are you supposed to just keep it all bottled up till you explode? No. But rather than use your words to vent your frustration, what if you used your words to pray to God about your frustration? What if rather than talking about that person to other people, you found a a close and trusted friend that you could just say, look, I need to talk to you. I've got some bitterness in my heart. I've got some bad attitudes in my heart towards somebody. And I'm not going to tell you who, but I I just need to get this out. And I want you to pray with me and help me to have a better attitude and help me to love this person. Help me to forgive this person. Would you hold me accountable and pray for me? Remember, Your words make your thoughts visible. You ever thought about that? Your words make your thoughts visible. So don't just throw your words out there. Instead, sift them. Go through them and only only expose the good words. Get a good perspective on them. Lay down the foolish and the sinful thoughts. Don't say them. 
Once again, we need to follow Paul's instruction. Do not let unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. I love the image there. It's like those words are just in your mouth, wanting to come out, right? You been there? And he's saying, don't let them. Don't let those words come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Don't use your words to tear apart. Use your words to fill yourself up with good things and to build other people up. Words can also be powerful because words can expose. Like I said, our words make our thoughts visible. So listen to Proverbs 13.3. He who guards his lips guards his life, but he who speaks rashly will come to ruin. Now this proverb further explores this truth that our, our words reveal our hearts. Our words make our thoughts visible. Because the Hebrew for speak rashly there is an interesting word. It's actually a word that's used throughout the Bible to talk about sexual promiscuity. Because this word speak rashly actually means exposes what needs to remain covered. So with that in mind, listen again. He who guards his lips guards his life, but he who speaks rashly, he who exposes what should remain covered will come to ruin. This implies the idea that impulsive talk and foolish speech not only harms me inwardly, but it can harm me outwardly as I expose things to the world that I didn't need to expose. I mean, how many people have spoken rashly to their own demise because they were discredited or they were shamed for what they said? And this is so relevant today. I mean, I mean, we, today we live in a culture where, you know, people are getting called out all the time for something they tweeted six years ago. You know, you might have been 13 six years ago and you tweeted out something that was insensitive, something that was ugly, whatever. And you know, six years ago, you were a different person than you were when you were 13, hopefully. That you're being called to carpet now. Or people in interviews might say one thing or in a speech. We see this with politicians all the time. You know, you look back at things they said in their speeches ten years ago and you compare it to what they're saying today and they don't add up. And it's bad enough to say foolish things so that other people can hear them, but it's a whole nother level of foolish when you put it into print. And so remember, and I would say just young people, but I think sometimes the older people, sometimes we're the worst. Remember, the internet never forgets. Do not text, do not email, do not put on Facebook anything that you're going to later on regret. We would be wise to heed the words of Proverbs 17, 28. Even fools are thought wise if they keep silent and discerning if, they're, if they hold their tongues. In other words, it's better to keep silent and thought to be a fool than to speak up and to affirm that you're a fool. And there's a lot of that going on these days. And the irony of this is that other people can see through our words to our heart better than we can. We don't realize the things we're exposing about our inner thoughts and feelings and and the bad attitudes that we're struggling with. And this goes back to what Proverbs teaches again about true friends. We need to surround ourselves with people who are going to be honest with us. You know those people that will tell you you got some spinach stuck in your teeth? Or that there's a zipper that's unzipped? We also need friends in our lives who will say, I don't think you meant that to sound the way it sounded. Or you probably don't need to be saying those things. We need people in our lives who will hold us accountable. 
Not only do words have the power to expose us and reveal our hearts, but words actually have the power to define reality for us. And that's number six. Words can interpret. Words can interpret. Proverbs 18.8 says, The words of a gossip are like choice morsels. They go down to a man's inmost part. I'll explain what that means in just a moment. When I say words can interpret, what I mean is that words do more than just report the facts. Words explain meaning. And that is what determines how the listener sees the world. At Reconnect on Wings and Nights these past several weeks, we've been looking at different worldviews and, and what the Bible has to say to the different worldviews around us. And a worldview is simply how you view the world. It's how you interpret life, how you interpret the world and what's going on in the world around you. A worldview is all about beliefs. It's all about thoughts. It's all about words and their meanings. And this proverb says that negative words about someone, gossip, goes down to the inmost part. In other words, they determine how we see someone. They determine how we interpret certain events. They even determine what our attitudes and beliefs about certain situations will be. Words can create and sustain prejudice, bias, fear, anxiety, things that can be hard to uproot. Words provide us the choices about what we're going to believe about the world. And we've got to not allow words to distort our reality so that we fail to see things for how they really are. You've heard the phrase, perception is reality, right? Our words determine perception. And perception in many ways is reality. So we've got to be careful about the realities that we perceive and with our words we cause other people to perceive. I've seen it happen so many times. Or a church is heading in a particular direction, but someone decides to start being negative and start talking to other people and start poisoning the well about something that was clearly God's desire for that church to do. I read a story the other day about a Baptist church that uh, had, it was about to extend a call to an African-American pastor. And this was a predominantly white church. And the search committee had pursued this person. This person is well qualified. He's on the SBC executive committee. Uh, the family was ready to come. He was, he was ready to go. And because a certain group of people in the church didn't like the fact of his skin color, they fell short of the 85% they needed to call him. And it has split that church. Words can interpret and depending on our words, we can really give people a very negative perception about something that God is leading a church to do. Psalm 51.6 says, Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Truth in the inward being. So Proverbs says that these negative words, these gossips, these negative perceptions, they can come down into our inmost being. But the psalmist says, you delight in truth in the inward being. You teach me wisdom in the secret heart. So how can we make sure that we only allow His truth and His wisdom into our inmost being? 
Jeremiah 15, 16. Your words were found and I ate them. And your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. See, if we allow God's Word to fill us, then distorting words can't take hold of our inward parts. Those evil words, those negative words, those deceitful words can't get their hooks in me and create that false worldview. And again, we've been talking about this on Wednesday nights. How do we combat the worldview of atheistic uh, secular humanism? How do we combat the scientism worldview that basically holds science up as a religion that can solve all of our problems and answer all of our questions and give us meaning in life? How can we, how can we combat the worldviews of hedonistic pleasure or the pluralistic idea that all truth is relative and so it doesn't really matter what you believe? How can we keep these pervasive worldviews that are in our media, that are in our schools, that are all over our culture, how can we keep them from distorting and reinterpreting the world? We must fill our hearts with the Word of God. We need the Word of God to interpret the world around us, to answer our questions, to give us the purpose and the meaning we long for. Because the alternative is to let the world's words... And listen, the world's words are constantly changing, aren't they? They're redefining them all the time. That truly is sifting sand. We cannot build our lives on the world's definitions. We need the solid rock of God's Word. Now, another thing about about words interpreting... You know, we, we all know the truth that as powerful as words are, actions speak louder than words, don't they? And, and, and I think I want to say that because the Bible also talks a lot about it's not just what we say. You know, Jesus said, there are lots of people who say, Lord, Lord, but I never knew them. Now, Jesus says that, you know, they, they drew to me with their lips, but their hearts were far from me. Obedience, actions speak louder than words, but listen. Our words interpret our actions, don't they? You can go out there and do lots of good things. We can give candy to kids all day long. But if we don't explain to them the gospel of Jesus Christ and why it is we're doing what we do, then they're left to interpret our actions however they want. Right? So yes, actions speak louder than words, but our words give meaning to our actions. And finally, the power of words is that words can spread. Proverbs sixteen twenty seven says, A scoundrel plots evil and his speech is like scorching fire. This goes back to what Ben was talking about in the children's sermon. And what does scorching fire do? We see it right now in California. What does it do? It spreads. Now, long before the Internet... Words had the power to go viral, right? The technology has just given new life, new longevity to rumors and fake news, but th- those things were around long before the Internet. And words can spread. They can spread instantly today. They can cause great damage. Again, James chapter 3, verses 5 through 6. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, is itself set on fire by hell. 
Notice that these false and unkind words not only spread outwardly and consume like wildfire, they can also spread inwardly. They can consume us from the inside out. But when we speak the words of Jesus' kingdom, it's like yeast that's worked throughout all the dough. See, it's not just negative words that can spread like fire. Kingdom words, especially the gospel, also have the power to go viral. I want you to listen to what Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. I'm sorry, verses 3 through 8. Chapter 1, verses 3 through 8. We also thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, of the love you have for all the saints, the faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you've already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you all over the world. This gospel is bearing fruit and growing just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace and all its truth. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who has also told us of your love in the Spirit. Paul is saying the gospel is growing, it's spreading, it's bearing fruit, it's going viral. And if we, like Epaphras, were faithful to share the gospel, what would happen in our community? What would happen in our country if we helped that gospel go viral? What if we chose to speak life-giving words that heal and not harm? What if we chose to give words to people that fill them up with God's love, that build them up in spiritual maturity? What if our words exposed the love of God in our hearts for people? What if we spoke to others and to ourselves the Word of God and allowed it to interpret the world for us? What if we spoke kingdom words that made the gospel go viral, to work itself through the lives of the people around us, through our church, through our community, through the world? Words are powerful. Amen? And the most powerful word that was ever spoken to us was the Word made flesh. The Word of God. Jesus Christ. He is God's complete and ultimate revelation to us. Jesus is the most powerful Word that God ever spoke. And you know what that Word says to you? God loves you. Despite your sin, despite your rebellious choices, despite the things you do choose to say and do, God loves you. And He loves you too much to leave you lost in your sin. And so Jesus came down as the ultimate expression of God's holiness and love. He took upon Himself the wrath of God so that we could receive the grace of God. He paid the price for you and for me that if we would trust in Jesus, we could have eternal life. That's the most powerful word ever spoken. And the most powerful word that you can ever speak is a word that says, God, I know I'm a sinner. And I believe with all of my heart that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins and rose victorious from the grave. And Jesus, I don't want to be separated from you by my sin. And so I turn from my sin and I put my trust in you. And I ask you to forgive me and save me, live in me and help me to follow you. That is the most powerful word you can ever say. 
Paul had to say this about the power of those words. He said, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, but it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As the scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame, for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I want to invite you right now just to bow your head and close your eyes as our instrumentalists come. Maybe you've grown up in church. Maybe you've heard all this a thousand times, but maybe you've never actually taken the time to turn from your sin and trust in Christ. Going to church is not enough. I grew up in church, and I came to the point where I realized that going to church and having Christian parents and reading the Bible and being religious isn't enough. I needed to trust in Jesus because He did for me what I could never do for myself. He paid for my sins. Have you done that? Have you ever actually prayed the words that said, God, I know I'm a sinner and I'm separated from you by my sin, but I believe that you love me and Jesus died for me, and so I pray that you would forgive me. I turn from my sin and I trust in you. Help me to follow you. If you've never said those words, I invite you to say them right now. In your heart, where you're sitting. Will you turn from sin and trust in Christ? Will you turn from self-reliance, from trying to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps and instead trust in Jesus to save you? Would you do that right now? Father, thank you for your word to us. Your word of truth and grace. I pray, Father, if there is anyone here who needs to turn from sin and trust in Christ, they would do so right now. And they would come as we sing and let us know that we can celebrate that glorious good word that they have now come into the kingdom of God. And Father, forgive us for the ways we misuse our words and we use our words, our powerful words, to harm, to hurt, to tear down, to destroy. Instead, may we be a people who use the words you've given us. Every word is a gift from you. Help us to steward them well, to build up, to fill up, to share your truth and your love. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you have prayed today to receive Christ, to give your life to Him, I invite you to come in a moment and let me know. Maybe God is calling you to unite with this church, or He's said something else to you today. The important thing is whatever God has spoken to you, let's be obedient. Let's stand together and sing. You come as God leads.